Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. today and uh, this is uh, uh, every year we take time to focus on two primary relationships. The first one is a priority relationship and that's our relationship with God and we start our year off the right way uh, by doing that. In January we had a series all about God's word and falling in love with it, understanding it, growing in it and we also did the 21 days of prayer and fasting to prioritize that relationship and establish our year to, to be on a better path and in February every year, we always take time to focus on the secondary relationship, the second most important one, and that is your relationships, especially if you're married, to focus on that relationship. It's really, really important. And we have several ways that we have for you to get connected, make an investment in those important relationships. The first way is if you are a parent and, uh, and you need a break, are there any stressed out, tired parents that need a break in the room, right? Okay, there's a few of you, Okay. And uh, so this Friday night, that's February 7th, we would like to take your kids and have some fun with them while you go and do whatever it is you'd like to do for a couple hours. Uh, And uh, so you can sign up for that. Wednesday night is the cutoff time for that, Uh, but you can sign up online on our website. Uh, There's a link there for you to register your kids. So make sure you do that, and uh, then they can be part of all the fun that is going to happen here Friday night. And we just want to pour into you, so whether you're single or married, you can go out on a date if you'd like to. If you're single and going out on a date, that's fine. Or if you're you're married and just want to be by yourself, that's okay too, right? You know, you can just get a, get a nap in your car if you want, whatever, but let us invest in you that way. Second way you can invest in your relationship, if you're married, we are doing for the very first time our Hold Fast Marriage Retreat, okay? So we typically do a marriage conference. This year we're doing a retreat. The difference is we're going to go away, stay someplace overnight, and this will be an intensive investment in your marriage. And so that'll be March 13th and 14th. We, you can sign up the same place you sign up online for uh, the Parents' Night Out. You can sign up for that as well. Uh, it is going to be a great time. We're going to go to Belleville, Ohio, and, uh, and have a great time up there in that area. Lots to do up there in addition to work on and invest in our marriages. Another way in this season that you can invest in your relationships, whether it's marriage or you're single, is to join a group. Uh, our Grow Groups launch this week, and that's really important. You need to be in a group. You need to invest in your relationships. Specifically, if you're, if you're married, uh, Shanda and I, my wife and I take time every year to invest in our marriage by reading a group or doing something uh, so that we're growing all the time. We have opportunities to renew and refresh that relationship. And so uh, this season, there, there's lots of opportunities just to be in relationship with people through activity groups, study groups. There is a relationship group that if you're... Uh, single or dating or marriage and you're looking towards that direction, uh, it's called Swipe Right. There's a few seats left in that group. My wife and I are leading that group, but there's plenty of them that you can be involved in. Men's groups, women's groups, singles groups. Uh, Just get in a group. Amen, everybody? Get in a group. It'll be the best, best way to set the precedent for relationships in 2020 and uh, make a difference. So, and then of course, to invest in your, in your relationships, there's this series. And you guys are already doing a great job because you're here. So well done, everybody. And uh, so today we're going to start and uh, jump right into it. We're going to go to a key verse that's going to help set up the rest of the conversation today. 
And it's found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And uh, what's happening here is that so far God has created man, right? So he's created all of the world and, and all the animals and, and everything. And, and now, now he's created man. And uh, what I think is interesting here is, is the introduction of his wife, God, who God gives him as his bride. So it says in verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept. The Lord, took, uh, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. So we had the very first surgery ever performed successfully right here, guys. I don't know if you pay attention to stuff like that, but that's just what happened. It's a ribectomy. I don't even know what you call that, but there was a, it's a, it's something was taken. And then it says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And do you know what Adam did? His job. Yeah. What you guys need to know is that before Adam was given a wife, he was given a job. <laughs> Ladies. Yeah. If the man that you think is going to be your man is trying to turn gaming into a job, you probably need to keep moving on. He needs to get a job. A job, young people. Get a job, that's the order, and then you can, you can have a wife. Boys, ladies. Well, Adam did what his job was. He named the woman, he took one look at Eve, and he said, whoa, man. He named her. Because I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you know this or not. But, but before they sin entered in, Adam, and he walked around naked. That means his wife was presented to him. He said, whoa, man. His response was, at last, the man exclaimed. Because, I mean, Adam had been around. His job was to name everything. He said, God, I'd seen the whale, majestic. I'd seen the elephant. That was impressive. I saw the dog, and that was awesome. And the cat, I just wondered why. But when the woman comes along, Adam gives God a standing ovation. She was most impressive to him. Best creation yet. He said, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because that's my job and because she was taken from man. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So here's where we're at. We're in this series. It's called, it's a relationship series called Relationship Goals. Now, I don't know if you're on social media or not, but, but if you type in hashtag relationship goals, uh, you, what you're going to find is, is, a, is a vast array of things. A lot of them are pictures of couples. Uh, I thought it was really interesting last night when I did it on Instagram. Uh, uh, there was just a bunch of guys just standing there by themselves with their guns or their motorcycles. And I'm like, there is no relationship goal that I can see here. You need to, you're in a relationship with your gun or your bike or yourself. Anyway, these pictures are usually pictures of people. Uh, post, they're posted in exotic places. They're posed laying down on a boardwalk, looking and laughing and pointing at something. There's something about those pictures. When we look at them, we feel something, don't we? We feel the magic of a moment, and we look at that and go, hashtag relationship goals. 
And what we're saying is, is that what we see here, how we feel looking at that, we want that. We want that. That's, this hashtag relationship goals is one of the number one comments on my wife's social media pictures when, whenever she takes a picture of us out on our date. Now, I'm, not, I'm not on social media the way she is. She's on Facebook. She's on, on Instagram. She's on Snapchat. And she'll put all this stuff out there. And, and you all, hashtag relationship goals. And, and what you're really saying is, is what you're looking at, what we have, our, our dating life, our, our, our relationship. And you're like, you want some of that. And, and, and I understand that, that that's why you feel, but the thing is, is what we see on social media, the thing that we're declaring that we want is more often than not fake. It is planned, it's posed, it is positioned, photoshopped, edited, it's not real. The stuff that, that gives us all the feels, the relationship goals, it, it's just not real. But we say we want that. And if you ask them, what is it that you want? They can't really define it. Well, we want long walks on the beach. I want pictures in front of a fireplace. Or I want to be out, outdoors with, with, with um, sparklers because that makes every picture great, right? Romantic, cool, I want that. But they can't really say what that is. It's not real, though, what they want. I think it's more often like this. Check out this video. Nothing better than this, right? This is the best. Unbelievable. Look at this. I can't believe it. <gasps> Madison Marie, will you marry me? You hired a star, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. I am so sorry. Do you mind, um, do you mind actually coming a little bit closer? I just, I don't know if it's going to share that well, if it's like so far back. Madison Marie? Will you marry me? This is still from the back. Do you mind if we just switch spots so that the camera's... Madison Marie, will you marry me? Oh, my, my hair is up and I didn't realize. Do you mind if you scoot back so we get the skyline in the background? Madison Marie. Cut. Sorry, I don't like my middle name. Uh, can I take a look at that? I just want to see if it's... I wanted this to be a surprise, but at least you could have given me a hint. I don't look good in any of these. Okay. I'm sweating right now, and this can't be good for my complexion. What are you talking about? The lighting is, like, really harsh. It probably looked like a Picasso painting. It's... Cloud-wise, what are you thinking? More? Yeah. See, when, you, when you turn around, is right. it already going to be open? Yes. That's Marie. I'm already wearing it. Oh. All right, take it. Okay. Give me the ring back, and oh. then we'll start from the top. Okay, okay. okay. I read a blog. The perfect time for engagement is, like, 5 to 5.30. Okay, there's something fun for you, and you ruin it. Ruin every. Oh my gosh! Okay, I don't know if I can even do this anymore. All right, here we go. Well, you're gonna be that. You're gonna be turned around. Right. Anyway, so I'll just start right. on my knee. Thank you. Knee. You got a double chin in this one. Switching things up, we're gonna have camera guy here, sound guy right here, John continuity sake right knee. I'm gonna go left hand. Should be bigger, right? Can you Photoshop that? As soon as he opens the box, we're gonna have a sweeping zoom motion and then coming all the way up, revealing the beautiful skyline. I'm going to say yes, and it's gonna be great. All right, from top. So then I'm gonna either go here or here. What do you okay, think? How about or we could go this way. Okay? I feel like no one sees me though, because my face is pointed out. No one needs to see your face. <laughs> say it a little bit more like you believe in it. Like do it, how would I say it? Marrying me would be hashtag relationship goal. Who says that? You will, <sighs> rolling. I just want it to be like how they do it in the movies. I don't know, I'm just not feeling the production value in this. Production, what, what do you want from this? Oh, uh, I don't know, first thing that comes to my mind, La La Land. They 
didn't even get married. Spoiler alert. Cut. Madison's engagement takes 43. Great, hurry, first position. Put that somewhere. First position? Babe, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Look at all these likes. Ah, oh, and that's what we want. We want that, but all of that is fake. It's photoshopped. In fact, one of my favorite pictures that Shanda and I put up that, that somebody responded ha uh, hashtag relationship goals on, we look really, really happy in the picture. It, it's because we are. Uh, the only reason we actually took the picture is we were up at Easton walking around, and there was a woman and a, and a guy, on a, they were on a date, and they were on a bench. She, she, knows, she doesn't tell her I was talking about this. My wife's sitting here laughing. They were sitting on a bench, and she had about this much of her crack hanging out of the back of her pants, and we just kind of positioned it in the background subtly and just laughed our heads off and took a picture. I'm not really proud of that. <laughs> no, very few people noticed. It was, it was like up there for a long time before somebody said, do you know crack kills? Like, you should probably do something about that. Hashtag relationship goals. People say, I want that. Thing is, is, is I know what they're saying, though. What they're saying is, is, is that th they are craving something different, something special. That, that's what they're really saying, right? That, that's what they're communicating when they say, I want that. I want what you and your, your bride have, but, but if you think you want what my bride and I have, let me be really, really clear on what it is that we have. We have a loving, trusting relationship. We're open and honest with each other, brutally at times. Uh, Shanda's my best friend. She's the person I want to be with like more than anybody in the world. Uh, if I can do something and bring her along, uh, I'm going to. We have in, in interests together, but we have an individual interest that we're both interested in for the sake of the other person. She likes to decorate things, and I like to help because uh, I don't care about decorating things. I just care about hanging out with her and making those projects come to life. We, we have a very honest, raw, real, and beautiful and open conversations. We love to go on walks together. We have playful interactions and inside jokes. We love our friends, our real ones in real life, and the TV show. We show genuine love and affection for one another. We're both on a spiritual journey individually, but then together to serve this community. But before you uh, look at all the mushiness of this moment and want to vomit, let me also tell you that uh, what we have is we're not at a destination. This is a journey. Like, we're, we're working it out. We're growing in it. We, we are not the pinnacle. We're not what you need to strive for. We're still becoming ourselves. We're still growing because we have stuff too. So if you want what that is, you need to know what that is that you're asking for. And, and the real picture of that is that we also have challenges and hardships. Last year, 2019, was the hardest year of my life. I walked through a, a surprise depression that really just crushed me. Also had a major surgery. Man, I'm telling you, you want to you wanna understand what love is, go through a surgery that's going to limit your physical ability to move. Uh, when you have spinal fusion, there's, you're not allowed to twist. And there are certain things that you need to do at least once a day that need a twist. That I couldn't do for myself. My wife had to do for me. You're like, Aaron, that's disgusting. Why would you share that with us? No, that's not disgusting. That's love. She had to carry an emergency kit with her so that she could do that if we were out in public somewhere. Go into the restroom with me. That's what we're talking about here, kids, in case you didn't pick up on that. that that's love. That, that, that was our relationship. 
One of us is stubborn. We have got struggles. One of us is demanding. One of us can be harsh. And all three of those are me. <laughs> hmm. She can be explosive, and so can I. We have a road filled with massive miscommunications, painful misunderstandings, hurt feelings. Like there was one, one hurt that, that she carried in her heart that I didn't even know about until two years later. There was a situation that happened that she told me she was fine to face on her own. I should have been there for her, and I wasn't. I, I should have just not asked, and I should have just made it a priority and been there. And two years later, we're laying in bed. It's 11 o'clock at night, and the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart that I needed to apologize for being a jerk for not being there. And I lean over to her. I'm like, babe, I realized that was, that was kind of hurtful. I, I should have been there. I'm sorry. I should have joined you on that. I know you told me I could have, could, I didn't have to go, or I didn't have to walk with you. I should have just done it, and I'm sorry. And she just, just tears for I'm like, what? this is two years later. Why didn't you just tell me? We, we have hurts. We hurt each other. We have what we call intense fellowship, which is preacher talk for fights. There was a fight the other day that after it was, you know, in the, in the, in the middle of it, Shanda came crawling to me on her hands and knees. She lifted up the, the comforter on the edge of the bed, and she said, get out from underneath that bed, you coward, and come face me like a man. not true, but it's funny though, isn't it? Because <laughs> if any of you know her, she would never crawl on her hands and knees to me like that. <laughs> we have fights. We have fights over nightlights in our bedroom. I get up three times a night, and finding the doorpost with your toe or your forehead is not fun. I want a nightlight. And she'll ask me, hey, do you know where something is? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't see. It's dark in here. No nightlight. <laughs> the constant rib. 15 years, folks. We fight over shoe placement. There we end the walk. When you walk in our door in the hallway, she's got a white bench there, and it's got two racks where people put their shoes. I walk in the door, and I kick off my shoes, and I place them next to the rack. And she gets upset. Why won't you put your shoes on the rack? I'm like, they're next to the rack. I own this house, too, and my shoes are going where I put them. At least they're there out of the way. While Missy over here walks into the living room, the bathroom, the kitchen, wherever, removes her shoes, and just leaves them sit there, right in the middle of the floor. It's hypocritical. And I say nothing about it, but she fusses at me because I didn't move three inches to the rack. <laughs> you hush. This is my stage. <laughs> we fight about toilet time. I don't share toilet time. And I will lock the door. Some of you weirdos do that. I lock the door, and she'll pick the lock and come in there while I'm in there doing my business, and she gets in my face and wants to give me a kiss, and I want the kisses, but not like this. <laughs> not like this. Nope. <laughs> Just don't want it. Shanda's driving scares me. I drive the, I'll ride with her the entire time, and my foot is on the fake invisible brake on this side, and I'm holding on to whatever I can as delicately as I possibly can because I don't want to upset her, but I always fail. When I drive, she falls asleep. When she drives, I have a heart attack, and I have anxiety. We fight over parenting, over what to eat and where to eat. Whoever said that, amen, you must have driven with my wife before. You understand. <laughs> Both of us have the gift of sarcasm, which I've been told is not a godly attribute. 
Shanda throws stuff. One time, Tim, you were there. We were, we were, I, got, I got lippy and, and got a little, little smart aleck with her, and, and she grabbed off the counter what she thought was a paper ball. And she picks it up, didn't feel the weight of what it was, and threw it at me across the room. I was in the living room. She was in the kitchen. That thing sailed, and I jumped out of the way, and we heard a loud crack. It was a gift I'd bought a friend from Honduras and got it home safely in my bag, but Shanda happened. And the thing broke into a lot of pieces. I made her glue it back together and give it to my friend anyway. <laughs> so we got a great story out of it. She throws things. We yell at each other. We hang up on each other. We fought on the way to church. We solved that, though. We drive separately now. <laughs> we fought so hard one time on the way to church, I pulled over in the Walmart parking lot and got out of the car and walked home. She went on to church, came back. That Well, everybody was asking about you. I just didn't know what to say, you know. <laughs> she had to make it worse because they went to Chipotle afterwards. Didn't bring me nothing. <laughs> mean. I wasn't a pastor then, okay? Well, I, was, I was training to be one, so anyway. Relationship goals. If you want what we have, you need to understand what that thing is that you want. What, what it is. There's a full picture for you. And I get what we're saying. We're saying we want something better. We want something different than what we've experienced in our lives, maybe in our families, maybe what we see in the world today, because the way the world does things is way different than God's way of doing things. And when the world, when we, we look at relationships the way the world does them, we see fear, we see dishonor, we see hurt, regret, jealousy, we see mistrust, we see a lack of unity, we see selfishness, which oftentimes leads to very nasty divorce. What we're saying is, is we want something different than what we've experienced and what we've seen. And that's why we've got this series. So I'm, I'm going to give you over the next four weeks, I'm going to give you four goals that we need to have in our lives so that we can truly honor God with our relationship. The first one is to be Christ-centered. Now this is different from being calling yourself a Christian. A lot of people show up on Sundays, they check it off the list, one and done, I'm a Christian. But that's not what makes you a Christ follower. A Christ follower is somebody that rearranges their entire lives, takes up their cross to follow Jesus. Their, their whole life is pointed at him. There's, a, there's definitely a difference there. And when you are Christ-centered, you tend to become what our next week's subject is, and that is mission-driven. Mission-driven. Many of us, we are driven by the wrong things. Something else is at the center of our world and our, our drive is based on what is at whatever is central to us, whatever is there at the center. But when Christ is at the center, we are driven by God's cares and his concerns. Our life becomes about his priorities. As a result, we can look into week three and become devil kicking. Man, devil kicking in our marriage relationship. Why? Because you're in a spiritual battle. You have an enemy who hates you simply because God loves you. His job is to steal, take stuff from you, to kill and destroy. That's his job. And whether you, you say, well, I'm a lover, not a fighter, it doesn't matter. You're in a battle anyway, guys, and you might as well learn how to fight. Because the fight is upon you. The war is raging. Paul says we, we battle not against flesh and blood. It's not each other. It's against spiritual powers, principalities, powers of the air. These are spiritual things we're fighting against. You're in a war, and the enemy will try to kill you, kill your family, kill your relationships, your marriage, take out your kids, 
you need to learn how to fight. And the last commitment we need to make is to be covenant-keeping. This is the last week of the series that we'll talk about this. And, you know, your marriage relationship that you signed, you, you, uh, you got married and you got a license, well, that's a contract between you and the state. But your covenant has nothing to do with the state of Ohio or wherever you were married or the pastor that presided over your service. It is a covenant, a promise you make before God to love each other till death do us part. And so we're going to talk about how we can use that that relationship, and honor God through it, to to be covenant-keeping. So we're going to learn to be Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping in our relationships. So let's start at the first subject, Christ-centered. What does that even look like? And I think that's a really, really fair question. The first thing we have to do is acknowledge that each one of our lives, whether we're married or single, which, by the way, single people, don't check out. I got There's plenty in here for you, okay? But whether you're married or single... Your life is centered around something. It's absolutely centered around something. If you're married, your life could be centered around something like, uh, well, yourself. If your life is focused on self, then you're going to make decisions that are just for you, that are not mutually beneficial, selfish decisions. You're going to, I'm the most important. How they feel, what they want is not important. Your decisions and your behaviors will be reflected by what's most important, what your life is centered around. And ultimately, that's going to lead to a miserable marriage relationship. And I, I can promise you, you won't be married very long, at least not happily at all. Other things we try to put at the center of our marriage relationship is our kids. This is very common. A lot of us grew up without things in our lives. And our excuse for why we sacrifice our date nights, our time with God, our, our time at church, is for our kids. Well, my kids never had these opportunities, and now I have the money. I have the opportunity to put them in programs and do things with them that I never had the chance to do. And since I was robbed of it, I'm going to rob myself of some things so that they can have it. And you'll spend your life making, making every decision, your calendar, your finances, everything reflected and pointed at your kids. They're the priority relationship. And when your kids grow up and they move on, what happens is you wind up married to a stranger that you don't know. You have no idea who they are. And you can continue on in an unhappy marriage relationship, or you may just choose to part ways. Hey, we're done here. We raised the kids. The center of our marriage was that. We're done. We can put money at the center, our careers at the center, our lifestyle, our image. Man, our image is a lot to us, especially in this social media-driven world today. Having the right picture, having the right image out there, the right clothes, the right lifestyle. Having people have the right idea about who we are. It's very popular within the church and outside of the church. That that we center around that and we make decisions based on that. Now the real problem that exists with this hashtag relationship goals is that it actually fosters and pushes forward this idea that exists within our relationships. Whether you're single or you're married, again, is the idea of the one, the mystical, mythical one. This one seems like a unicorn. You're always chasing after it. If you're dating right now, you, the, the problem with the idea that there is one person out there that is supposed to complete you is that you'll never be satisfied with the person that is sitting in front of you now. Your mind is always on the, is this person the one? You're not going to invest yourself fully in a relationship to find out if there's a good partnership here, if there can be a real love relationship here because you're like, well, there's a one out there for me, somebody that's going to make me happy, somebody that's going to complete me. 
Somebody that when I meet them, when I marry them, everything will be right. There is not a one out there for any one person. In fact, the only one you need to have in your life to complete you is Jesus. Besides, you know that single is a whole number. It's not incomplete. And yet we spend our lives looking for the one, obsessed with it, focused on finding the one. But focused on the myth of the one robs you of joy and real relationships that are here and now. You don't need somebody to complete you. Jesus didn't. He did a pretty good job honoring God and pleasing him. He was perfect at it. Paul did the same. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, planted churches, turned the world upside down for Jesus because Jesus was his number one. My hope for you that instead of the, the idea of the relationship goals that I've met the one is that I've met the two. Because in a Christ-centered marriage, Jesus is your one and your spouse is your two. Jesus is your one and your spouse is your two. So when marriages are centered on Christ, not just on Sunday, then we're all about Jesus. He is our one. Jesus said this when he was asked about this to, uh, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Teacher, a guy approaches him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the framework and a systematic approach to how we should arrange our lives around Jesus. Love the Lord your, with your, your heart, your soul, and your mind. That, that's every, every major part of you. With all that you are, point it at Jesus. It's kind of like your living room. If you look at your living room, what is all your furniture in the living room pointed towards? One thing, the television, right? For the most part. So that every seat has an optimal view of the TV. Well, that's how our lives need to be when we're Christ-centered. Every area in our life needs to be pointed towards him. Why? Because Jesus is our focal point, and our focal point matters. Here's why it matters. We talk about this within the context of something we call the cultural playbook here at Simple Church that we introduced at our very first uh, Third Thursday. Third Thursday is uh, an evening where we, we talk about leadership lessons, and, and um, uh, it, our first one, we, we released our culture playbook that we worked really, really hard on, but, but within that culture playbook, and by the way, if you want to learn more about that, um, we, we have these leadership se sessions that are available for you to grow in your influence and your impact. Uh, it's really easy to remember which Thursday it is. It's the... Um, yeah, it's the third Thursday. Yeah, it's third Thursday. And all of you are invited. It's not just like leaders here at the church. It's all of you. Um, but, but we talk about the, the what's at the center matters because what, what's at the center influences three things. We call this our B, B, O. That's our beliefs, our behaviors, and our outcomes. So whatever is here in the center has an impact on what we believe. And what we believe, ultimately, we believe something deep within us, it will determine our behaviors. And our behaviors will ultimately determine our impact and our influence or what we call outcomes. So if you want the outcome that you're experiencing right now in your relationships to change, 
You can't fix behaviors without fixing your belief, and you can't fix your belief until you identify what's at the center of my life. When self is at the center of your life, your behaviors are selfish. Your, your belief is, I'm the most important. Your behaviors are all geared and wired towards yourself, and the outcome is a miserable marriage relationship. If the kids are the most important, you believe that, your behaviors will align with that, your schedule, your finances, all of it will align with that, and the outcome will be that you'll drift from your marriage partner, the, the primary relationship in your family. This is important that, what, that we get this right. But when Jesus is at the center, our BBO shifts. Our beliefs, our behaviors, the outcomes change. Because when he's at the center, we align ourselves with God's best for our lives. We believe that his ways are better. Even when it conflicts with what we want, we'll do it with what we believe. Our behaviors will line up with what we believe. And the outcomes in our lives will change. If you want a marriage that is better, if you want a marriage that is God-blessed, Jesus has to be here. He has to be at the center. For those of you who are not married yet, this is for you if you're married. If you're not married yet, if you want a Christ-centered marriage, go ahead and live a Christ-centered life now. If you want a God-honoring marriage later, go ahead and live a God-honoring life now. A lot of young people, a lot of single people say, well, I'll get, in, I'll get involved with that later in life. I'll get, I'll get involved with the church later. I'll start serving on a team later. I'll deal with my addiction later. I'll deal with that porn issue later. I'll get serious about God, and I'll do it later because right now I'm having fun. And right now I'm out here doing my thing. But your thing minus God's thing equals sin. And sin causes all kinds of chaos in your life. And you cannot build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. That's not how it works. It's simply not. The foundation must be firm now. Jesus must be at the center. So be Christ-centered now. Not in word only. Not in appearance only. But do the work. Rearrange your life. Some of the people say, well, well I'm going to have to sacrifice this, or I'm going to have to surrender that. <laughs> Jesus described it for you. He said, anybody can follow me. Take up your cross. I'm sorry. That's all about killing something in your life. It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus, to, to put him at the center. It's going to cost you. In your marriage, there's a lot of things I could tell you to, that you can do to be Christ-centered. And they're all good things, and they're all true things. I can tell you go to church together, read your Bible together, you know, so you're talking about the same scriptures. I, I could tell you make sure you get in a group together. I can tell you to lead a group together, serve on a team together, go on a mission trip together. I, I, these are all really good, important things, but I'm going to give you one thing to do, okay? And that's, that's just one thing, because if I give you one thing, you're going to do it, and that's to pray together. To pray together. I'm going to ask you to pray together. And, and I'm going to keep this really, really simple. The Institute of Family Studies says this, that couples that pray together stay together. And they identify three kinds of prayers, and I'll go through them quickly. The first one is the fire prevention prayer. This is the kind of prayer that you do before the fire starts, before the issues begin, where you're inviting God into that marriage relationship and everything that you're going to face. Like, God, this is a preemptive. We want you involved in everything that we're doing. Then there's the fire extinguisher prayer. 
This is when you're in the heat of it. Maybe you're in the middle of an intense fellowship. And you decide to lay down the weapons, and you decide, I'm going to go ahead, we're going to go ahead and grab the tools that God has given us, and we're going to pray. We're going to invite him in. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to demonstrate some meekness. I have the right to say this. You wronged me, but I'm going to go ahead and forgive you, and we're going to do things God's way. That's the fire extinguisher prayer, right? And then they talk about the Band-Aid prayer. Man, this is after the crisis has happened, after the hurt has already been established. This is when you pray looking through a rearview mirror of like, man, we really messed that up. Forgive me. I'm sorry I hurt you that way. Lord, help me grow in this area. Help me shift and change. Praying together is powerful. It shifts everything. And the fruit of praying these kind of prayers becomes obvious. The fire extinguisher prayer, you know, things de-escalate. Right? Humility comes in. Conflict resolution, healing, forgiveness, grace, mercy, clarity, understanding. These are powerful things, man. We want those in our marriage relationships. And I already know the pushback. You're like, Aaron, I can't pray. I don't know how. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to talk to God about. I, I don't, I'm not very eloquent. I kind of stum, stumble and stammer. That's okay. That, that's okay. You don't have to. It's simple. Tell God what you want to happen in that situation. God, I'm hurting today. I need strength in my body. Heal me. Hey, she's struggling with a, a meeting she's got to have today. Give her wisdom. Right? Just, just tell them what you want to have happen. And I, I promise you this. The more time you spend praying and the more time you spend in God's word, you start to understand his priorities for your life. It becomes very easy and very clear what his priorities are for you. And you can start praying those things. It's so easy. You don't have to pray about everything all at once. Just pray about what's on your heart. Tell God what you're thankful for. Tell him what's on your heart. This is what I'm thankful for today, right now in this moment. And this is what's really bugging me. This is what I'm anxious about. This is what I'm worried about. This is what's stressing me out. Tell him about those things. Some of you are hesitant because you're like, well, Aaron, that's a, prayer is an intimate thing. And it's kind of personal and private. Listen, if you're married, you do lots of intimate things together that are personal and private. Some of y'all share toilet time, you disgusting people. You share, that's personal and private. You share that. Some of y'all have had babies. That's pretty personal and private. Some of y'all did things to make babies, swap spit and other things. That's pretty personal and private and intimate. And the thing is, is you were willing to do those things and you did them awkwardly at first. They were uncomfortable. Communication wasn't clear. It wasn't perfect. But the more you did them, the more you stepped into them, you got better at them. And prayer's the same way. It's intimate, it's private, I get it. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. So, so step into the awkwardness. You'll do it clumsily. Be kind to yourself. It's okay. You're not going to get it right. You can pray together. So let go of your excuses. If you want something you never had, you're going to have to do things you've never done. So let me tell you a couple qualities of the kind of prayer that you need to have, and we'll, we'll close here. The first is make sure that your prayer is short. Keep it short. You don't have to go long. I'll give you a sample of one here in just a moment. The second thing is keep it consistent. Philippians 4, 6 says, pray about everything. We're also urged to pray without ceasing. 
Pray about everything, pray without ceasing. How do I do that? I've got to talk to people on the phone or do business or whatever, you know, deal with the kids. How can I pray without ceasing? It just means that have an attitude and a constant ability to, man, whatever's going on, just you can grab hands and pray. And what it'll shift is it'll shift you. It'll begin to shift your life. Your priorities will change. Maybe you'll start talking about scripture together. Maybe your kids will see you praying and start praying as well, reading their Bible. Maybe you'll learn to be the church, not just go to church. You'll learn to be mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping people in your marriages. The outcome is beautiful if you just decide that we're going to pray. Pray about everything that, that impacts your marriage. Simple prayer, this is what the, an example of a fire prevention prayer. Is, Father, give us wisdom and clear direction in all we do today. Help us to show your love to each other and to shine your light in the world. Keep us close to you, away from temptation and always in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. That took 10 seconds, y'all. That's a, that's a fire prevention prayer where you're praying and inviting the Lord in. We can leave that up there as long as you want. You can write it down. God's not going to be offended or upset if you have a cue card for your prayer. You can do this. Those kinds of prayers will keep you Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping. Now, if you're not married, here's my encouragement to you. Start praying for your spouse. That's what you want to do. Be single. Let Jesus complete you. Start living on mission for him. But, but tell them what you're looking for in a spouse. Shanda and I both did that. It was really funny. We didn't know each other. She lived in, in Kentucky in a foreign country, and I lived up here in Ohio, in God's country, Buckeye country. O-H. And I didn't know, but I wrote a list of what I wanted in a, in a, in a, in a spouse. And yes, I'm not afraid to tell you how shallow I am. I had some physical attributes that I desired, and she had them. I didn't know that before I met her. And she also had a list. She, she wrote it down, dropped it in a little prayer box at her church. She said she got everything that she asked for. She never did read me that list because she never got it back from the prayer box. <laughs> had a little lock on it, right? <laughs> but she said I, I'm, I, that I was everything she wanted in that. She said the only thing that surprised her about me was that I was white. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Not that she was praying for anybody with a, a kind of skin color. She was just surprised about the package, apparently, that I came in, so I don't know. <laughs> Still hurts. <laughs> but if you're single, pray about it. Because here's why. So that when you see what you're looking for, you'll know. You don't have to compromise anymore. You'll, you'll stop that compromising. You'll have invested some, some, some sweat equity in praying for the person that you desire. And when you see, you'll know. You won't be all, well, we're going to date for a while. We're going to be engaged for this for, for a long time. Like, you know. Like, my wife and I got married nine months after we met. We were engaged three months after. It took six months for her to plan the wedding. Like, we knew because we were both praying for each other. You, you can do the same. Live a Christ-centered life. Get to work and doing, being single and living out your God's mission for your life. You say, I want that I want that in a relationship goal. I want that. We need to know what that is. We need to be Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping. And you can have relationships that are full of intimacy, full of adventure, full of romance, full of passionate expression, but you're going to have trials, you're going to have pain, you're going to have hurts, 
You're going to have disappointments, heartbreak. You're going to need to give forgiveness and much grace. But you'll find healing and you'll have Jesus who completes you at the center of it all. So make a choice. We're going to start praying together. Amen, everybody? Let's pray. Lord, today I, I just uh, thank you for the clarity in your word. How simple it is to absolutely transform our marriages by just grabbing hands and praying. To absolutely transform what we're looking for by, you know, if we're single, bringing it to you and saying, Lord, this is what I desire. How transformative that is to trust you with every area of our lives, even this one. So God, I pray that as we submit ourselves to you, that you would help us to see how to make you the center of our lives so that our BBO, our beliefs, our behaviors, our outcomes are impacted, Lord, so that we can make a difference in the world by the way that we walk out our marriages. Lord, for those of us that are going to pray and it's something new for us and it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, I pray there's much grace one towards another. That there's much grace. That we would be bold and courageous just to grab our hands and do it and say, this is, this is going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be clumsy. I'm going to say the wrong things. And we're going to laugh. And it'll be great. But Lord, we know that, that when we come to you with sincere hearts like kids, kids don't always say things the right way. But you're honored and you, that's how you want us to be, like children to approach you. So God bless us as we take steps towards you in this way. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm well aware there may be somebody in this room today. You'd identify and say, Aaron, I'm not a Christ follower, let alone living a Christ-centered life. And the outcomes that I'm experiencing right now in every area of my life are not what I want. I want more. I want better. I want what God has for me. Well, it starts with a Christ-centered life. It starts with, with Jesus being there the priority relationship. Our sin separates us from that relationship with God. But Jesus paid a price for us to be forgiven, to be reunited in relationship with our Father, our Heavenly Father. So, all you have to do is accept that gift. And if you're ready to do that, I'm ready to pray. And if that's you and you're here in this room today, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I want you to pray for me today. Be bold right now. Do it. Yeah, thanks. So here's what we'll do. Everybody, let's pray out loud. We're going to invite Jesus into our lives. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to serve you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.